This episode is about minutes 11 through 15 of The Rise of Skywalker with returning guest Riley Silverman. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Music Minute, where we celebrate the music and sound of Star Wars five cinematic minutes at a time. I'm Chrysanthi Tan, feel free to call me Xanthi, and today is all about minutes 11 through 15 of Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. In this episode of the film, Poe and the gang narrowly escape a giant green space monster. I think it's called Megafauna Chasm. Uh, we also see Rey training in the jungle on Agent Kloss under the light supervision of her new master, Leia. Kylo and Rey then have their first shared force call, and Rey reunites with Finn and Poe, whom she argues with a bit. And today's uh, guest is Riley Silverman, returning guest and author of several Star Wars books. Hello, Riley. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me back, and thanks for giving me minutes that you knew that I would like sink my teeth into. So yeah, I was um, yeah, I, I I wanted to talk to you about these minutes because I feel like the the Leia Ray um, stuff and basically like Leia as a Jedi trainer as Jedi adjacent, Force sensitive is she caucuses as a Jedi. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's my like phrase for that kind of thing. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and pretty accurate. Yeah, I feel like it's a um, perhaps controversial aspect of this film. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not... Uh, yeah, that's not why I wanted to have you on, but I, I knew that you could have like a, a nuanced conversation about it with me. And so that's why. Well, it's a frustrating thing, right? Because I think a lot of us grew up like once we had that moment in last Je- in last Je- in return of the jedi when we were like oh leia is also a force sensitive child of darth vader there like she could have been the hope for the galaxy and in in at least one uh <laughs> certain point of view excerpt she's supposed to be the hope the, of the galaxy exactly exactly but I think I have been chomping at the bit my whole life to see Leia as Jedi, and we got a little bit of it in Last Jedi, and it's like this bittersweet thing of like, oh, we do finally get it in this movie, but it's so tempered by the loss of Carrie Fisher that it's like this Frankenstein version of it, and it's like with with flashback scenes and CGI as opposed to like just getting to see Carrie Fisher get to be a Jedi, and that's like, I think it's like this really, it's like, this weird bittersweet of like, yeah, we got it, but it's it's that, but not like this meme. It's like somewhere Keanu Reeves is shaking his head and going, but not like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because like, I think from a certain point of view, one could say that Leia, that this movie confirms that Leia never fully became a Jedi because we get the explanation of how she stopped training, like the choice that she made on what to focus on in life. Um but here we do still see her like being called master. Still, she is training Ray. So I feel like it she's Jedi enough for me personally. Yeah, yeah, me too. I yeah. I still hold to the philosophy, and this is how I feel about Ahsoka as well, of like there's 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 two things about like there's Jedi in title. And then there's, like, Jedi in practice. And, mm-hmm. like, Leia obviously does not spend most of her life training to use the Force the way that, like, a Jedi, as we think of it, is. But I think she does dedicate herself to the things that Jedi are supposed to, like, uphold and stand for and do it in her own way. And I think Ahsoka is very similar in that way. Um, more, she has more formal training, obviously, but... Most of, I mean, she's still a Padawan when she leaves the temple. She should have been a little knight at that point, if you ask me. But yeah. <laughs> she, she's still a Padawan. 
So like that whole like a lot. I don't want to get too caught up in in story and dialogue here because I know this is not the point of your podcast. But, but like there's, I, I always I, I get so vindicated whenever Dave Filoni talks about the inherent Jedi ness of Ahsoka because there's that moment where everyone hypes on which is the I'm no Jedi line. But oh like in God. the context of that scene, she's taunting Anakin. She's not really. She's saying like I will not hesitate to kill you. I'm no Jedi. That's what she's saying. Mm-hmm. But then in the same scene, she shows Jedi mercy to him the second his face mask breaks and she sees Anakin yeah. again. And I feel like coming back to this point. Leia is very similarly that. I think Leia is not, she's never been trained as a Jedi, and it, and it, but she has all the, like, morals and, and like, like, she's the kind of person that a Jedi should have strived to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I think, what makes it work for me. Mm. Like, like, I do, I think that she's, like, she's being called master by Ray almost like as out of just like the pure respect of it, not out of like, Oh, according to you some weird kid, you're you a matter. The yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because like, I mean like, like again, not to keep using Ahsoka in this, but like Ahsoka calls Anakin master and he's still a knight at the point in time True. when he's training her. So it's like, I think, it's more like I think teacher. the series be master. Yeah. It's, I think when someone is your teacher of a specifically of like an art like this, you do call them your master and that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I like to substitute the word Jedi for musician in my mind to think about it. And I think of Jedi, I'm like, that's a, a Jedi is a classically trained musician who has like achieved certain institutional pedigree, but there are still lots of people who aren't classically trained or, or maybe mm-hmm. quit halfway through their journey or something. And they're still musicians. Yeah. And then and you they got can like still mentor. Sisters, which are like riot girls and punk rock people. <laughs> and then so you've got... Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think that's true. Like, I think from coming from stand up comedy, we had a lot of that. Like, like there was kind of like people would say comedian, and I think like my brain would almost always assume that meant stand up comic. But mm. like, there's lots of ways to be a comedian. Like, there are sketch comics, there are comedic actors, things like that. But like, for early on in my career, if I was like, oh, that person, like, if someone said like that person is a comic. That to me would always mean they were a stand-up comic. Like it mm. wouldn't mean that they were doing like sketches or, or writing funny things on the internet, which was like still kind of a new thing. If you said you were a comic, it meant that you had been like doing stand-up at a mic in front of an audience. And like I feel like maybe that's kind of like there's like capital J Jedi and maybe like lowercase J Jedi. Jedi. I don't know. Totally. But, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, um, this set of minutes technically we have a few seconds before we get to the Jedi bit because what we start with is the end of the light speed skipping scene. And I feel like let's just start right out the gate there. And I will, I will say that um, it's a little, actually, before I say anything, let's listen and then I'll ask you about it. All right, here we go. Okay, that was it. It was super short. So actually, let me get into it a little bit by playing Can we the play end. it one more time real quick? Even yeah. if you edit it out, but can we play it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to um, start from the end of the last set of minutes because it kind of runs into it. Anyway, yeah, it's because of the bangs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, well, Ray's not here, is she? Last jump, maybe forever. Hold on! So there, there it is. Yeah. Do you Chaos. recognize <laughs> that music or any part of it? Oh gosh, I mean, I mean, I do recognize it because a lot of the stuff is reused over and over again. 
uh, for motifs and themes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It does have a very. I'm trying to think. I definitely feel like I've heard it literally in the context of people being in the Falcon escaping from something, and that's like mm, where I've mm. heard it. But I could be wrong about that. But it does sound very familiar. Okay, I'm gonna play something from another film. <laughs> okay. Oh wow! Wow! Well, I was technically right. <laughs> <laughs> So, Death Star. I love John Williams. I love John Williams so much. Well, yeah. well, okay. This this part is, is a little bit controversial, actually, in the in the Rise of Skywalker. Okay, I don't think it's that controversial, but basically, one but one person on YouTube did make a video where, like, it, this was addressed and um, seen as a lazy choice. Actually, well, the thing is, we don't know, like, if it was something that John Williams wrote for The Rise of Skywalker, or if editors were like, this will sound good here. and Because sometimes the music editors or the editors are the ones responsible for putting in uh, cues. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess this is just an open question. Like, okay, okay, this, this, um, this video, it was by Sideways. Um, he was asserting that, like, it was kind of lazy because it was kind of um, drawing on our associated feelings with hearing this, you know, we're, it's strongly attached subconsciously to um, like the Death Star blowing up. And so it's kind of a shortcut to arise, to uh, eliciting emotion from us in this kind of less, in this much less dramatic, like less narratively um, significant scene. Um, that was the argument there. Um, I don't agree oh. with that. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I've, I feel like if you're, if that's your argument, I feel like you're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of like, that's what all music does in mm. in films is like emotionally manipulate you into feeling certain things during certain scenes. Like, well, I think it does like do that. Later, <laughs> yeah, like later on in this in this scene, like in this film, I mean, like when when the the ships arrived at Exegol with the "You're Not Alone" Poe and the ships, like that music is so designed to get me to start crying, and I do every time. It's just like, but also I think, I think from the perspective of what Kathleen Kennedy wanted this movie to be was a capper for the entire saga. So I think there is an element of like we are opening this movie with an action sequence that even though it's not the same event happening as the Death Star, it's evoking that feeling and it's kind of giving you that implication of like, this has all built to this. And like, whether or not you feel that the movie successfully accomplishes that goal or that task, I do feel like that is something they're trying to do with the music. I think the music is actively trying to make you feel like, oh, this is like the culmination of all these things that you have seen before in this saga. And also, like, if you're going to start getting into, oh, wow, Star Wars reused this music from a previous <laughs> point, like, you might as well stop talking about Star Wars music. Like, so everything is, like, uh, yeah. So that's my feeling on it, though, personally. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I feel like the reuse of old theme, the, the reuse of music from prior things that had a big impact sometimes feels 
lazy is probably not the right word, but it feels like a shortcut sometimes to me. And I won't say this isn't necessarily the case in Star Wars or the Rise of... Well, it is the case often in Star Wars, mm-hmm. but I mean it's more so in the shows. I think it comes up more so in the shows. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I guess, the musical version. It's, on one hand, it's the musical version of fan service, but I think that's only count, counts when it's like um, when the audience is aware of it, like when Luke raises the X-Wing, I mean, and that's something I think the audience is aware of. Oh, that's like the Empire Strikes Back music when Yoda raises the X-Wing. When yeah. Luke raises the X-Wing in this movie, that's an obvious, like, recall um but for things that are sub that are subtle like this where like even you who knows star wars so well you're like i definitely i know i've heard this but it's not like oh that's definitely this one theme from this one spot it's something that a lot of people might not know immediately and i and i will say that in the rise of skywalker it's not like it's not drawn out to the same extent that it is in a new hope in a new hope that whole thing like what i played was really long it was like over and over again Over and over again, and here it's really just the, the just the tail end. So it's it's not that much. Yeah, I feel like the New Hope one even gets parodied sometimes. It's like let's make it go out even like they they make the joke of having a thing keep like like something keeps zooming out, zooming out, <laughs> zooming out, zooming. I like, I've seen that done like as a joke that's referencing that exact music motif. Like dun 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 Like and it's like I, I'm trying that's to think so of the example funny. in my head. I've, I've definitely seen it where it just keeps happening. I I don't I don't think you are wrong that is a shortcut. And I think the TV shows definitely give us shortcuts more often. I think that has largely to do with the rapid the quicker turnaround they have to have for the TV shows and the amount of time they have to do it. And the the lower budget being spent on the TV shows versus the feature films, you know, more than most TV shows, but still less than a film per anyway. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know if I necessarily think that, that it being a shortcut is a bad thing because I kind of feel like I would rather a shortcut be used here or there so that then more time and energy can be focused on parts where it really matters. Like if the whole film was this kind of stuff, I would be a little more upset about it. But I think it being just a shortcut in this moment, I'm kind of like, yeah, get to the thing and move on. Like, yeah, well, I mean, a shortcut can be like a neutral description of something. Like yeah. in life, we all have certain things that we've decided to take shortcuts on because we want to spend more time on other things. So I, it's, you know, just a give and take. Um, like a, a, I see it as a choice. Um, yeah. Like I think for me, the biggest example of this is when trailers will use like a classic song, but it's like a cover of a classic song or it's like slowed down, like some beats uh, added to it. And it, yeah. I could, that that's like an obvious, very, it's a shortcut. It taps into people's nostalgia for whatever that song is. They're like immediately more on board with the movie being yeah. advertised or, or, you know, or an advertisement maybe. So like, that's obviously a shortcut and obviously the advertising industry and everything, like they know it, so they use it they and it's effective. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it just is what it is. I just recognize <laughs> what they're doing there. Yeah. Um, so to take to zoom this out even further, um, kind of like the meme, which is a, an accurate representation of what this incidental light motif is, which is called sorry, in- incidental motif. It's not a light motif because it's um, it's less significant than a light motif. It's just incidental. It's called martial chords, and John Williams himself, what he calls it is because John Williams is aware of this. Chordal, this polychordal thing, he calls it the Holst chords, and he calls it the Holst chords because it's borrowed, you know, it's borrowed directly. It's a nod to Gustav Holst's the planets Mars, 
Um, and I'll play you the part where it shows up in, in Mars. So it's like a reference. It all goes back to being like an homage to the planets, to Holst, which John Williams, you know, very self-awarely um, lifted this from or, you know, referenced it to great effect. So here's from Mars. Anyway, it's the it's the exact it's the exact same chord. You can And it's a famous chord because so yeah. like it's a famous chord. It's a so a, dis, a polychord is like when two chords are stacked on top of each other. So in this case it'd be like It's like um yeah, D flat stacked on top of a C. And yeah, so I guess we're we're continuing the we're continuing the A New Hope and the the planets homage in Star Wars, which is very part of the original Star Wars score DNA, for sure. I think it also works in the context of light skipping, uh, light speed skipping mm. too, because it's like you're going from location, 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 location. So it's like it's like it's like there's a skippingness to the music, totally. and there's like a skippingness to what's happening with the ship. So yeah, and and, and light speed skipping in the way is taking a lot of shortcuts, so it kind of <laughs> works well. <laughs> Take that argument. Uh, I'm sure nice. that was I'm sure that was thought of never once in the editing room, but I just in <laughs> my head I'm now. <laughs> there you go. All right, I'll so make now, anything work. I love Star Wars that much. <laughs> so now we're um, going to transition. Be with me. Be with me. They're not with me. Ugh. Yeah, you can hear the birds so loudly. I like yeah. that. So, of course, we're on Agent Class, which is a jungle. This is our introduction to the planet in the film. And I remember, like, after the just hugely chaotic light speed skipping scene. I remember just being like, oh, this is a nice breath of, a little breath, a little time to take a breathe right now. Yeah, it's a nice little, actually when I listened to the audio of the minutes you sent me, I actually sat on the floor crisscross with my hands doing the, the Ray meditation me. pose while I listened to it, yeah. Uh, nice. I, figured, I figured I would get into the mindset of Ray while getting into the soundscape of Ray. Um, yeah, speaking of, of hearing motifs and, and reused music from Star Wars, I think like that's one of the most iconic. And I, I think it's interesting to me that this is the – I didn't think about it until rewatching it now, but that this is the music being used while Rey is in, being introduced into the movie again. And it's also – you know, it's, it's used iconically in, the, in A New Hope like with Luke looking up at the two sons and then that ends up being the last image of Ray in the movie too is like that's mm. like that shot mm -hmm. with like those images so it's like it's kind of like it almost bookends Ray in the movie in a way oh yeah that's true like Ray with Luke yeah that's a good point and i know that a lot of people hate that <laughs> no. i personally love it though i do too <laughs> um 
So Ray, like, I guess I, I am very gratified whenever I see like Jedi training scenes. <laughs> They're like one me of my too. favorite things. <laughs> so this made me very happy to see. Um, of course, we are hearing the Force theme, and as she kind of goes, ugh, is when we hear Ray's theme. Um, let's see. I don't. Let's continue playing. We hear her A theme. I'll say. Ray. It's be patient. Chock full of themes. So this is actually another. Voices of the Jedi who came before. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. I'm gonna run the training course. Okay, this whole thing is like motif after motif. It we just yeah. had because that I didn't notice this when I first watched the movie, or even when I watched it the second time. I didn't notice it till I was like paying attention. Um, but that music in the background while Le- Leia is talking is, um, you know, at least Frank Lehman names it in his catalog as an, you know, it's it, as an incidental motif, and it is. Um, Leia trains Ray, is the name of it, and it's it's that like tender string thing. I only noticed it because then it comes up again later, and I'm like, wait, we heard that, and I was like, maybe that's a motif. Um, and then immediately it goes in back into the force theme. It's just like one thing after another. Yeah, it's almost it almost works as a blending of like with the force theme, Ray's theme, and this Leia training motif. It's like it's the bits of Luke's training, the bits of Leia's training, yes. and then like how Ray interprets that all kind of like working together in this like little symphony. Oh, that's a really good that's a really good point because something interesting happens after this, which I feel like it's a combination of Ray's theme and the Force theme. I'll play it. This is of the Jedi who came before. Nothing's impossible. So here. Nothing's impossible. I'm gonna run the training course. Like I feel like it starts like it's going to be the Force theme and ends like it's Ray's theme. That just like yeah. very brief. And it plays well with the line that she just says about the Jedi that came before because it plays yeah. almost like it's the Jedi that came before becoming into Rey, which is like a lot of the theme of Rey's part in this movie is like her embracing herself as the heir of the Jedi. Yeah. Take that, heir to the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, 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 I wish I could take – I cannot take credit for Heir to the Jedi. I have it on a – I have a I have a Ray lightsaber art on my wall that has Heir to the Jedi written in Arabesh. Oh, nice. Lightsaber. Yeah. Nice. I don't know if I've ever mentioned to you that I'm a big fan of Ray. I don't know if that's ever picked up to you. <laughs> Never have guessed. No. I, I almost wore my – You've I don't, cosplayed I've as Ray, right? I have. Yeah. I have – I've cosplayed as Ray a few times. Yeah, I, I walked around as Ray last year at Star Wars night, and uh, I'm nice. a big fan. Yeah. I'm – gosh, I'm hoping – that there's a, a different version of her costume for the new movie because I just want a different Ray. I want a Ray cosplay. It doesn't require me to have a bunch of white flowy garments. Like <laughs> I just I want I want a cool. I want something more like her outfit in Last Jedi. But I also just want her to use her yellow lightsaber more so I can run around mm. with that and have some fun with that. Because I have oh, I think mm. I have so many versions of that lightsaber now. I think I have four. Whoa. I have at least three of the yellow one. The one I want. I think I think I'll have a fourth one. Once they buy the toy one they have in the parks now, because I have the I have the parks version of it. I have like the fancy the, one. Yeah, I have the the Hasbro uh, dark series black series one, and then I also have the 
Um, I have one that was like made by, I think like for ultra savers, like before anybody else was selling the Ray one, I got there. Oh, wow. And yeah. And then I also have her reforged. I had the one she has in this scene, the reforged, uh, Skywalker one that has the, like the burn marks on it and like part of her bracelet holding it together. Nice. That's awesome. Kind of a fan. Kind of a fan. (laughs) Um, yeah. So Ray here is really taking in input from her previous, from the Jedi who came before. I feel like, I mean, that's kind of the theme of this film, especially like at the end when, you know, I am all the Jedi. And yeah. I like how the, the music Which I have, I have kind a shirt that says that. Not that I'm, not I that am I'm all the Jedi. <laughs> nice. Um, so what do you think of Leia in this moment? I will tell you that when I, when I, divorced the video from the audio and just listened to the audio. Carrie Fisher's performance being a pre-recorded one that was inserted into the film is way more clearly what's happening. Like it, it very much, it very much feels robotically inserted in a way that like, I think that her like deep fake version of her doesn't like, I think there's like maybe like a trick happening with your mind because you see her there talking and like, yeah, it always felt yeah, it always felt a little robotic watching it because it's, kind of, it's like they were kind of doing an impossible thing. If, like, I if I made this movie, I probably would have done the Black Panther thing with it and opened the movie with Leia's funeral and not oh. made it like trying to Frankenstein her into the film. But I I don't I I I didn't have that power. So, but I think that it was it was. It, they did they did the best they could with what they had, but I will say that when it's just audio, it's a lot more clear that they did the best they could with what they had, and it almost feels like someone like called in on a podcast, like it has that level of like disconnect. <laughs> yeah, it it reminds me of when I'm like doing a self tape audition and I don't have a reader, so I've like recorded my lines, and it's yeah, it's like it's like a, the reaction time isn't quite perfect. It's Kind of, yeah. It's obvious that they're recorded separately. Um, yeah. yeah. It's clear that Leia wasn't talking to Ray in the scene that she was like, like, <laughs> yeah. like I'm pretty sure it was her talking to Han in the scene that we that we had, that we got, like, oh. the cut scene. I think I could be wrong about that, mm-hmm. but I think that's what happened. But I actually misheard Ray's response in in the theater, and I, both times I saw it in the, in the theater, I didn't notice until, like, when I rewatched it this year, that she says, I'm, I'm going to run the training course. I heard it as, okay, Leia says, nothing's impossible. And in my mind, in the theater, I thought Ray says, nothing's impossible later on the training course. <laughs> like, it's not impossible. It's just later on the training course. And I remember, yeah. and I remember being like, oh, I really like that line. And then it turns out that's not the line. So That's so funny. Yeah. I like uh, that, though. Yeah, nothing's impossible. I just haven't trained for it yet. Yeah, so. exactly. I was like, Good lesson, Leia. Slash yeah. <laughs> um, oh, well. Okay, so then, then she runs the training course. Let's hear that. Ray chimes. Okay, we're getting so much. What does this remind you of, uh, if anything? I mean, it's. I'm hearing a lot of. I'm hearing kind of a. 
this is weird, but like obviously it's race theme. Yeah. The, the like chiming spark, but it almost reminds me of the Mustafar fight scene between oh. Obi Wan and Anakin. Like that, like the, like the the sweeping element of it. Like when you see them like coming in on them and they're like fighting on that. Like like they're kind of like they're both vertically hanging off that building and they're like fighting with the sabers at each other. It feels kind of like that. Like that weird. Yeah. Yeah, I I wasn't. Yeah, I can see that. I wasn't even thinking about that, but totally. Um, what it reminds me of is Luke in The Last Jedi on hmm. Octo. And I'll play, I'll try to play. So this is when he's like drinking milk from the sea siren and scaling across the river. It's basically yeah, like I can an. Definitely a, hear it. It's definitely like a Luke doing his thing montage. Yeah, it's kind of. And I remember really loving this part in the Last Jedi. Like it kind of has the same, a similar kind of drama, even though it's like he's not doing anything or he's not in dire danger or anything. This is his routine. He's just doing something. And and similarly, Ray is training. She's not like in a real battle, but it's like yeah. it's like a game on type of type of thing. The way it's being used in this movie makes me think about recontextualizing my mind the way it's used in Last Jedi, because, mm-hmm. which I pronounced that very strangely, but um, I emphasize that very strange Last <laughs> Jedi. Um, I, I, you're right, because it is just Luke's routine, and he's not really doing anything with high stakes, but it's it's played so epically, and he's mm-hmm. doing such, like, jumping across that chasm on the sticks and stuff like that. And I almost wonder if if the intent of it being so epic seeming, even though it's like mundane tasks, is meant to betray the, the fact that Luke isn't as disconnected from everything as he wants to be or claims to be. And he's actively training himself like and keeping up with his training every day, but not admitting to himself that's what he's doing. Like, he's he's doing his own Jedi, like, obstacle course oh, as that's the interesting. days go on. But he's just saying, oh, no, I'm just getting milk. I'm just doing yeah, this. Yeah. But it's... Just getting milk, but I'm going to do it in this, like, ridiculous way. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that's, like... And the fact that it's being used in the same way in this film, obviously, like, different people made this movie than made the last movie, so those choices are, are character as opposed to intentional script choices. Mm-hmm. But... At the same time, it does kind of work really well that like, like oh yeah, this is this is the training montage music, and Luke is in his training montage, even if he's not telling himself he's in a training montage. Yeah, that's oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I like to think of it. I like to think of Luke being like, no, I'm not, I'm not training at all. Um, but then suddenly, when it comes time for him to use the Force again, he is very in shape with the Force. Like he, <laughs> it's not like he's super super out of practice. It's like he Mr. Miyagi'd himself. Like he, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not training myself to do karate. I'm just washing cars and I'm just, oh. I'm just sanding floors. That's all I'm doing. That's all that's happening. But he's doing it to himself as opposed to a student. And yeah. That's really smart. Now I'm like, how can I do that in my life where it feels like I'm not doing something? But I, yeah, okay. Must, must ponder this. Yeah. Um, so... In this training, the best I have is I use is using cardio is doing a beat saber to do cardio. So I'm like, oh, I'm just fighting things with lightsabers, and I'm not getting exercise. What are you talking about? Is that VR? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a VR thing where basically there's music and you're basically holding two lightsabers and like blocks come flying at you and you have to like oh, hit the cool. blocks to the music. And it's it's the, one of the few things that keeps me consistently working out. And it's also great because first of all, I get to play with lightsabers while I'm doing it, which is very fun. But also I found I have found that VR workouts are the only workout in my life that I've done where I have zero dysphoria because mm. I'm not seeing any of my body like in a mirror or anything. And so mm-hmm. I'm not like having a disconnect of like what my body makes me think of versus like working out. I'm like just in this space and doing stuff. And so that's really yeah, cool. There's, there's, yeah, it's very fun. Man. Yeah, I've been thinking for a long time about getting into lightsaber training or something. But oh, I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. like actual, like yeah, yeah. Like I, like I'm like saber and- yeah. Like I think there are some. There's like a group in LA that does it. Like they think there's something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so okay, training, training. Gotta love the timpani. I I love this theme so much. Oh, I love it too. Someone it's asked so me so heroic and wild and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love. Well, I mean, I like Ray's theme, or do you mean this version of her this theme? version of her mm-hmm. theme? But in, I, I love all, like all, all Ray's themes are beautiful. I love, I love every version of Ray's theme. I love this like really like epic version of it. It's just, it's so fun. I agree. I think, um, like, okay, so we we hear a couple of Ray's themes in this. We hear the the theme, which is dee 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 dee, and then we also hear the chimes theme which is dee, 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 dee. and um, the way that the theme is sort of punctuated by like rhythmic um, it's like there's like there are interjections of other music I guess like the bars are drawn out a little bit so it is like it sounds like a suite it doesn't sound like just the theme is playing out it's like it does feel like an entirely, it feels like more like it's part of a set piece or something. And I, I like, another reason I like Jedi montage, like Je- Jedi training scenes is, is often the music feels more like it has its time to shine. And, it, you know, we can hear, it's not like just underscore beneath dialogue. It's like we get to hear the music for a little bit, like yeah, full power. And that's another reason I liked that Luke scene in The Last Jedi because it's like we have like a minute of like just watching Luke and this beautiful dude do great stuff in this cool place and we're just like hearing awesome sounding music and that is meant to be heard, not meant to be um, hidden. And that's what we're getting here. So I feel like it's a real spotlight moment. And um, yeah, Um, which is why I think the training's the training montage in Book of Boba Fett was a real missed opportunity to have more active music, but that's just that's just my opinion. I thought the music was way too stagnant for that kind of theme, for that kind of moment. But yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> There's the chimes, and then we have that key change. Did you catch that? Where it was like it stepped yeah. up a little bit, mm-hmm. and that also happens in when Luke is on Octo, his, his new theme in The Last Jedi steps up. Um, sorry. There we go. Like the, the, the percussion kind of goes nicely with the lightsaber like stabs. 
It's like do off yeah. notes, do, do, and then the, the violins in kind of interspersed on like two, three, on like beat four, they're going. It's like yeah, and as you as almost too as like as like Ray is starting to struggle more with her training, it feels like the music is pushing back against her in some ways. Like, like yeah. it's getting more intense, and like it's like she's starting to like have a harder time with it, and the music is like really weighing down on her. Yeah, the music is one of the ways that like that is communicated to us. Like it's not just idyllic music. It's it's kind of showing, you know, what what what's in her mind. Um, like I can imagine this is like. The, the soundtrack of her of her training right now. Yeah. yeah. And it's why her training is like, she's so, her brain is so chaotic. She can't like connect with things right now because she's got so many thoughts happening and she's so lost that like having this kind of like cacophony of different sounds and suites kind of forming together really like plays into that. I actually see it as like controlled chaos. Like I hear a lot of things going on, but I hear them fitting together. Like I hear that she still has it under control. Like I, it's like she's juggling like one ball and then someone adds another and she's still got it. You know, the, the multiple lines that are happening and then like another ball comes in and she's still got it. It's tough. Like she has to, but it's still un, under control at this point, I think, because then we see that it gets out of control. And I feel yeah, like- Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's let's, building and building and building. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's going to become too much, but here it's still- hard but she's focused she's getting into a groove a little harder she's found another kind of groove but kind of tripping a little bit maybe I love that part. And the, the new groove is a little bit more intense than the last groove, too. Like, it's like she's found a new groove at, like, a next level up. Like, yeah. as opposed to, like, going back to her previous. She's, like, she was struggling a little bit. She put it all together, and now she's baselining again at a higher rate. And then the part mm-hmm. you just mentioned happens, like, the little, yeah. Yeah, it's like one of the bars is stretched out, and it's sort of like she's doing the same course, but now um, just added, like, 10 meters to it. So it takes, like, a little bit longer to to do that laugh or something. Um yeah. Oh, well, that's that's where. Okay. There, it's drawn out. And then we've cut to Kylo Ren, or rather, we've cut to Darth Vader's mask. Yeah. Um, the mangled mask. Um, granddaddy. <laughs> Should I keep playing, or do you have immediate thoughts about this? Uh, I don't. Know. I mean, like, I think I think keep going. I think I. Okay. Why? What, what else is there to say about the Imperial March at this point? Like, it's just kind of like, yep, that's it. That's <laughs> like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, let's it's Vader's fun. mask, and here's Vader's theme. Yeah. <laughs> now we can hear that we're kind of back to Ray. It kind of no. blends. It doesn't just cut. It blends into it, which is like kind of yeah. like the the bleeding of the force effect between the two of them. Yeah, where their realities kind of become. The line is kind of unclear, um, where yeah. one can reach into the other sometimes. Um, yeah. After Kylo Ren, so it's the Imperial March as the case is being opened, and then Kylo puts his hand on the mask and 
after he puts his hand on there is when we hear Kylo Ren's theme. But it's interesting because... What is it? It's a little bit different than it usually sounds. It's just one note. Yeah, okay. It goes like this. But usually his theme goes... Very subtle difference, just a half step up at the top, at the beginning. So instead of, it's, but it clearly is meant to be his theme there. Yeah, I think, I think the one note out of step is supposed to kind of play into him being just a little bit off, like, his own. Like, he, he's just, he's not quite himself yet. Like, he hasn't, mm. like... Like he's, he's trying so hard. Yeah. Well, he's so he's trying so hard to be Kylo Ren at the beginning of this movie. Like, like he's re, he's reforged his mask with you know Kagumi, whatever. But like he's not. He he knows that he's he's faltering, but he like isn't willing to go. Like he's trying so hard to still be Kylo Ren, and it's like not working, buddy. Sorry. And like it's like that's a good summation of that, him but, for for the first yeah. half of this movie. Just trying yeah. so hard to be Kylo Ren. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think he knows that, that he's faltering and doesn't want to admit that, and he's that, that's why he's trying so hard throughout the movie to like. We talked. I talked about this a lot on, on Star Wars minutes. I'm trying to repeat myself too much, but he's trying so hard to convince Ray that she's just like him because he's trying to convince himself that he's right. <laughs> like, and he's like, I can't be I can't be wrong about who I am because that would mean that I've done all these things for nothing or whatever. And so like he's like, I have to have you come to my side to be just like me. And so I think like this is very much a, this, this little one note is like a crack in his armor and when, and his mask is cracked. Right. So it's like, it's like just that little, just that little thing is off to, uh, it, it reminds me, this is such a wild tangent, but I, I recently saw six, the musical about, mm-hmm. you know, the six wives of Henry the eighth. And there's a whole thing. And I, I watched a deep dive video on YouTube where, cause, uh, they use green sleeves a lot in the musical as like a bookend for things, whatever. Like the, and there's like a part, the song. Yeah. The like, mm-hmm. the, the like, and they, in the beginning, there's a part where they're playing it and it just one note that's out of harmony with the rest of the composition and then at the end of the musical, they put that note back into harmony, and it's like oh, very subtle, but it's a really interesting thing. And I think about that of like, this is his theme, but this one note is different. This is a crack in his armor. This is him like starting to like fall from who he is. Mm, yeah, I like that, and especially like Kylo putting his hand on Vader's helmet is so like it reminds me of people. I don't know. Um, I'm not going to get the terminology for this right, but maybe like who want to reconnect with themselves and then maybe they touch crystals or something. Sorry, I'm not really representing this. I don't really know if that's quite a thing, but I know like people will do their rituals. Like they'll have their items or or whatever that are kind of help them channel something, whether it's like incense or crystals or some, something that, and so here Kylo's kind of doing the same thing, but with Vader's mask, he's like, all right, help me get into my vibe. Yeah. Uh, It's like just trying to channel those vibes, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so. So Ray trips. She ignites the blue lightsaber. Yeah, and now it's a lot more conflicting chaos as opposed to yes. organized chaos. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Things are falling apart. Yeah. Yes. 
she's a lot less under control now. Yeah. Yeah. She still manages and to slice the, the whatever, the tr- a tree trunk, and she's still doing okay, but her, she's mentally, like, not composed. Yeah. And, like, it, the music raises the stakes as if she's in an epic battle, like a real battle, and I think that that's true. I think she's in this battle with herself and her own struggles and her own frustration, and that's why the music is playing it that way. Yeah, I mean, not to mention the intrusion of Kylo starting to starting to hit yeah. her, starting to knock her. And it's, you know, it's like, good thing she's on a training course. It's sort of like she has something to take it out on. But we see how she kind of perhaps takes it slightly too far with, like, BB-8 and everything um, and because she's knocked off her game. In the background, we're hearing dualistic strings, which is the... Chur- accord- Frank Lehman describes it as chromatic... Sorry, churning chromatic string polyphony um, used during Yoda Palpatine fight in Revenge of the Sith and recalled during initial confrontation between Rey and Kylo Ren. In wow, that's Cross. I did not know that detail. That's really interesting to me. Those two songs, those two, that's the same music. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's like very easy to miss because again, it, this is not a light motif. It's an incidental motif, so it's less kind of important. It's more like underscore yeah. type of thing, but. Yeah, it is interesting whether it's intentional or not. I'm going back to my not. original point about the uh, back to my point about the light speed skipping scene. I'm 100% now thinking that was intentional of like we're going to keep pulling things from previous movies to put in this one. No, I think it was intentional from I'm, someone. I'm owning that. Oh no, no, I think it yeah. was intentional from someone. I just don't know if it was intentional yeah. from the music editor or intentional yeah, yeah. from Williams. But I I, I agree yeah. that it was intentional, but it's like Yeah. It's basically that fast. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying it to you. I'm saying it to whoever made that YouTube video. Oh, 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 oh! <laughs> it was like, oh, it's lazy, and it's like, no, no it's no, part no. of an overall point they're doing. No, I thought that they. Th- <laughs> I think that they agreed that it was intentional, but that they were intentionally. <laughs> yeah. Doing a shortcut. Yeah, uh, but I, I but think anyway. I think when it's in the context of the overall film, I'm giving it a, like yes. If you only looked at this one second and only looked at this one moment and said that, maybe. But when you start seeing it happening other moments within the same five minutes. It's like, okay, no, this is clearly like part of an overall plan. <laughs> like, yeah. So sorry, you're gonna play you're gonna play the music. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, it's okay. I I kind of already played it. Like it it, it was okay. it's just what's in the background. I was just kind of demonstrating yeah. what is on the screen for people who can read music and I'll just I'll see it's you can barely hear it. So it's like see that little string thing in the background. That's that's all that is. It's so subtle. But I think okay, I I Everyone has like a different um, tolerance level for kind of like how Pete and Alex say with jokes, like for the humor. I think people like eighty percent of it, but they're, the twenty percent that they like is not the same, perhaps. So there can be disagreements yeah. on on That's these fair. specifics. I feel like this is a similar type of thing where like some people just for some people like in one of the one might be too just going too far for them. Where for another person, they're like, no, that's fine, yeah. and. I think something like um, the dualistic strings being here and also being in Revenge of the Sith is a slightly different case or a, a fundamentally different case than the holst chords being in the other part because this is because the holst chords are kind of they could have been like cut from a place and put in by a music editor, whereas dualistic strings, because it's part of the texture of a cue, it's like that had to be, it's it's part of, it's embedded in it. Um, Yeah. But still, like, I always wonder how intentional 
John Williams is about these things because he's done so many movies and he himself is not, does not have, he doesn't personally keep a list of all the freaking things. He's probably done this in other movies too, the same thing uh, without knowing it. I always wonder how, how, I always wonder which things he brings in are intentional and not, especially for the like less important ones. Like for the themes, I think he knows what he's doing most of the time, but for some of those little ones, I'm just like, I don't know, just 20 years apart, did you just see a similar thing and just have like the same idea or like what do you yeah. what's happening well i mean 20 years apart but he also frequently is going out and conducting orchestras playing like he literally was just in la last night doing it like he does that so i think i don't think it's music he's unfamiliar with like i, I didn't mean like that but you know what i mean like i think like yeah I don't, I, I don't know if every composer for movies is as frequently playing the music from the movies as he is. Like, I think so. I think that a lot of stuff might be more fresh in his mind than it might be for others because he's so frequently doing concerts of it and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's true. Though he doesn't do concerts where he's conducting to, the, to, to picture. So when he's doing concerts, he's doing like the hits, the concert suites and the, the things that are like he's doing Imperial March, like Yoda's theme, that kind of thing. And sometimes the underscore that's like in the rest of the movie gets forgotten. I bet I don't know. I'll, yeah. I would. I wish that like prequel music and sequel music got performed more um, in concert because it's like always the original trilogy. Whenever, yeah. whenever I go to a John Williams concert, yeah. yeah, which is fine. It's great, but he's done a lot more music for Star Wars too. Um, okay, let's continue playing. I love his dirty lightsaber. Oh. Oh, now Ray is having her flashback. They're both having concurrent flashbacks. Join me. Join me. Join me. You kill me. So that is quite a cool piece of sound design. I'm a fan. Yeah. I I was I was thinking when I was listening to it earlier how this is definitely one of those scenes where sound design alone, I can tell what's happening in the scene without having any visuals for it, which I think happens a lot in these movies, but I think especially this one really feels like I as someone who's listened to a lot of like audio dramas, like like BBC ones where they don't have a narrator and you have to just kind of follow what's happening and like a lot of times there's moments where there's action scenes happening and there's no one saying like, and then this person hits somebody or whatever. It's just, it's just all audio editing. And I think this really feels like it could have been done that way. Like it feels like it's very clear what's like that. She's, she's training and then Kylo like invades it. And then they both kind of have this like vision together sort of, or like this, this like mixing of visions and memories. and Yeah. And it's not like, for either of them, like we see Kylo as being being the one imposing this on Rey, which he is, but um, neither of their visions seem particularly good. Like they're both having kind of freaky yeah. visions. Um, yeah, concurrent flashbacks, I guess. We, young Rey is like seeing her parents leaving. She's uh, Kylo, you know, is seeing his father, um, or or maybe Rey is seeing his father. It's kind of a little bit unclear, but it's kind of. Um, concurrently happening and kind of cutting between them both. And then the soundscape is kind of enveloping the whole, like the soundscape kind of um, 
is detailed in that it, it gives like specifics for each tiny little flashback scene, but then it's wrapped in this whole uh, sound treatment of, of the vision where you, you can tell that we're, they're in a shared kind of psychic space right now. It's not like the jungle soundscape. It's not like Kylo's room soundscape. It's like this other dimension that they're sharing. Yeah, it's like the sound of their dyad versus the sound of the location yeah. they're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first Skype chat. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of <sighs> is is a big part of it for sure. Yeah. And so now she's back to reality, and we can hear it in the soundscape. We hear the jungle coming back in. Baby, I'm so sorry. Didn't finish the training course. Now she's it. telling Leia. I'm just not feeling myself. I know it looks like, it looks like I'm making excuses. Don't I really liked this line. Look like. Tell me what they are. I really liked that line when I when I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Um. I think I'm just tired. That's all. So we're back General, to that the unobtrusive underscore. Commander's asking for guidance. I will earn your brother's saber one day. So this is back to the Leia trains Ray. No, you can't do it for me. Never underestimate a droid. Yes, master. Thoughts? I have I probably have less thoughts about this section than anything else we've talked about today because that's yeah. pretty cut pretty cut and dry. What's happening? We have a nice little you know under, like I said unobtrusive sound in the background. Um, I think that Leia trains Ray coming back in kind of almost like we talked about this cacophony of different style like Ray Luke Leia being all brought in and I think like this is like where it's kind of calming down again. It's kind of getting back into the routine of like okay. I did the thing. Now I'm going to give this back to you, even though you're going to get back to me a scene later. But like, uh, yeah, it's like very much this, like I'm no longer putting all these things together. I'm kind of putting myself back into your hands as my master and that kind of thing. And Yeah. So Leia's theme, like the Leia trains Ray bit of music and just in general, the portrayal of Leia and Ray's relationship, it's a very different relationship than Ray and Luke and it does make me wonder if Ray misses having a more hardcore teacher sometimes because, well, Luke was definitely a more hardcore teacher in that he didn't even want a teacher at the beginning and then he, he seems like he was, you know, much tougher. Um, Leia seems, like, extremely nurturing to the point where, like, well, I think about, like, how in high school, like, I had some really, really nice teachers that were really forgiving and whatever, and I had some that were really kind of hardcore and strict, and, you know, these were the, these were the rules. You have to get your stuff in on time. It has to be like this, et cetera, and I loved my really nurturing teachers, but I did better in the strict teachers' classes, and so I just wonder about that with Ray. I wonder if the, like, setting aside toxic strict teachers like we're not exactly. talking about yeah i'm not talking about not abusive talking about, i'm just talking about they had yeah. clear standards and it was very easy for me to be like i know what their expectation is and i can meet that because yeah. it's clear 
Yeah, we're not talking about like J.K. Simmons in what was that movie called? Uh, I don't know. It's like Haywire or something like that. It's oh, where I he's seen the. It. It's that movie where he's like a, a jazz like composer. Oh. Oh, and it's okay. like there's like a drummer that's like anyway. Um, someone's screaming it at your podcast right now while I'm saying it out loud. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think it won. Anyway, um, I think that what happens sometimes when you're someone who is working towards like something that's that's diff- genuinely difficult, like art, like you're saying, like having this kind of, or like classes or becoming a Jedi. I think that when you have a teacher who's too nurturing and laid back, then that leaves a lot of space for you to get hypercritical of yourself, which then might, like, if you don't feel like you're getting enough guidance, you don't, you you almost feel like, wait, is is what I'm doing not good enough? It's not worth the effort or Mm. not worth the feedback or whatever. Whereas, like, I think when someone else is kind of giving you the really strict, like, instructions, it can make you go, like, okay, I know what my my task is. I know what I have to do. And I can rise to beat that. And, like, I think that might be part of it. Like, I I think because... Leia, by virtue of not having the ability to create original dialogue for her, <laughs> yeah. I think Leia's Leia's uh, instruction style is of mostly asides is <laughs> is is leaving a lot of gap space for Ray to feel like she's not good enough because mm-hmm. she's like taking that time for herself to think like I'm not worthy of this lightsaber. I did not complete the course. Like it's a lot of like self-criticism because and I think she's afraid because she's seen what happened with Kylo and stuff like that but that's that's how it plays to me it's like oh because Leia is not a strict teacher which is funny because out of the two out of out of if you were talking about original trilogy Star Wars and you were talking about about Leia Organa or Luke Skywalker who was going to be like the hard ass and who's going to be the soft boy (laughs) I think I think I think it's like you would 100% think of, like, Leia as the revolutionary who, kick, who shoots through walls and kicks open trash compactors and stuff like that. Um, whereas Luke is like, I wanted to go play with my friends. And that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's, so it is kind of funny that Luke ends up being the one who's kind of, like, the grizzled, like, hammering instructions into somebody thing. Whereas uh, Leia is the one that's like, oh, just tell me how you feel. Like, tell me what's real. What's up? Like, Interestingly, I also think about, like, people when they how they develop as they age or like as as we age like the ways that like the edges of our personality we kind of try to temper and go the other way a little bit so like if leia has was like say like just a hard ass like whippersnapper like would have been more taskmasking like maybe part of her personal growth has been like becoming more nurturing because she's set in her leadership role so she can you know maybe that's been like how how she has rounded out her own personality Maybe Luke, well, his is more reactionary, I would say. But, yeah. you know, he has probably been more kind of easygoing, but through Jedi training kind of realized, you know, I need to adopt a little bit more discipline and, and whatever later. So, I, And honestly, maybe even specifically his failure with Kylo, like mm-hmm. his failure of like, oh, I went too easy on Ben, maybe because yeah. he was my nephew, maybe because I was so caught up in my idea of like, my way of using the force saved the galaxy. And so this is the right way for everybody kind of vibe. Like his own hubris, maybe he was too light touch. And then now he's seeing it like, oh, that light touch left a lot of space for my Padawan to have enough self-doubt to fall on the dark side. So like now with this new Padawan, I have to be very much like, no, if you falter at all, things are going to go catastrophically terrible. <laughs> so you have to listen to me. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'll keep playing. So now it's later in the day. We see Ray studying the ancient texts in her tent. And her friends are back. So we, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, quite, a, quite an entry, quite, quite an entrance. Um, but this little bit where Ray is studying the texts, um, how did you, how do you, or how did you feel about seeing this? I, I liked it as a carrying forth of the end of the last movie because, like, it was very clear that she'd saved the texts. And I think that it, it's a, it plays a pretty vital role in showing her training because, as we mentioned, like, we, we Leia being a lowercase j Jedi uh, in our, our new assessment of that, like, as much as Leia is a good, like, person to facilitate her training, I don't know if Leia has enough of the, like, book knowledge, basically, or, like, <laughs> the, she doesn't have the knowledge of Jedi training that, like, Luke would have, or that, or not even Luke, really, but, like, like, the way that, like, a Jedi would have been trained during the Republic era, right, like that, or, like, that kind of thing, so I think that, I think that Rey needs to have the combination of the practical training she's getting from Leia, and, like, the, like, text training so she can like figure out what she has to work on on her own so she has to do she's like doing an independent study of jedi and i think i think that it it's necessary i think that like having these ancient texts explain why ray is able to figure things out like force healing and stuff like that because i i the only thing i don't like about it is that she's opening the page that's like literally a picture of the wayfinder wayfinder. yeah it's like hey this ancient text has this thing that's only specific to this particular thing happening and like uh like that's like i would rather it be a page that shows an injury being healed by the force almost like a like an airplane emergency thing than than being the wayfinder so that's the one thing that i like i I like that she's using the text to study the jedi's code or or training with and i I just wish it wasn't so like a needle drop of plot point for this story yeah that's a good otherwise yeah yeah, I agree with I agree with that. I also love that she studies is studying the ancient texts. Like I love well, I love that they exist. I like the way that they were introduced in uh, in the Last Jedi with you know Luke trying. Like I was excited about Luke wanting to burn them and then Yoda showing up, and then I was excited about Ray resurrecting them, <laughs> resurrecting yeah. the study of them. Like I liked I liked both of them. So this, which is why I don't see I'm not on the same page as people who are like the last Jedi was trying to say burn the past burn the texts and now the rise of Skywalker is saying is is like saying forget about that we're bringing them back to me that's like definitely not what either movie is saying it's like it I I just don't even I don't even know where to where to begin with that because to me there's no there's no dissonance with the fact that Luke wants to burn the text makes complete sense given for him in that moment and in that era of his life and Ray wanting to study the text makes complete sense for her and is makes complete she, sense. She has the texts in the movie. It's not like she didn't have them in last Jedi. And then they gave them to her in rise of Skywalker. She has them on the Falcon. You see them yes. in drawer. Like she did that. And that's why Yoda is like, I mean, like, I do think like the moment where Yoda's like, Oh, they're kind of boring. They're, they're not page turners. Go yeah, ahead yeah, and burn yeah. the tree down. Like that moment, like, 
the line. It's kind of like Ahsoka saying, like "I'm it. no Jedi." It's like so contextual to like yeah. Yoda's being funny there and like it, trying to say like, yeah. of course they're not they don't they're not they're not everything like yeah. they're not everything. It doesn't mean you can't find something in them. Yeah, and I the thing you just mentioned about burning the past down is. One of my biggest pet peeves with the way people talk about both Last Jedi and this movie is, like, a lot of times people talk about this movie with criticism saying, like, how do you go from let the past die and then go to this movie? I'm like, but let the past die is not the point of of Last Jedi. It's totally the villain's agree. It's the villain's point of view. And it's what leads him to go to, to, first of all, try to slaughter all the rebels who are trying to escape from the the um uh, the radish and go down to <laughs> and it's also like it's it's he it's what leads him to try to blow his own mother up with Death Star tech with like that like trying to blow open the walls of of the crate base and it's like he is wrong Kylo is wrong when he says let the past die and like the whole movie builds up to this hero moment for Luke of realizing he can't run away from the past and has to go back and do exactly what he said Luke Skywalker's going to walk out with a laser sword and face down the entire first order. Like that's what he does because he realizes like, Oh, somebody has to stand up to give people hope. And that's what we're here for. So like, it's, it's wild to me that people, I, I don't want to ship shame, but I do think a lot of it comes out of people being Raylo shippers. And so they think, well, because this is Kylo Ray, Ray thing, what Kylo was saying is the point of view of the movie. Cause like, Ben Solo is not necessarily purely a villain. And it's like, but when Kylo is saying that, he is saying it as a villain who is broken and misplaced and and mistaken. Like, mm-hmm. he he's almost there. And that's why Rey turns away from him when she does. Because mm-hmm. Rey is like, oh, I thought I was on the same page with this guy, but we are going in the exact opposite direction. And it's like, the point of view of the hero of the movie is the point of the movie. The movie is trying to like, she says, no, I have to go protect the people I care about. And then we get the next, we get the next thing from, from Rose Tico, which is like, save the people that you love. That's how we're (laughs) going to win. And it's like, that's, that's more the point of the movie than let the past die, kill it. If you have to, like that is, Mm -hmm. that is not the point of that movie. And it's just such it, it frustrates me because, like, people who love that movie so much seem to have gotten the exact wrong point of what the movie is trying to say. And it frust- And then they take that and then they hate The Rise of Skywalker because of it. And it's like, like that's not uh, – but both movies work together in, in yeah. a fluid motion in a way that, like – I totally it, agree. Yeah, I, I love, know. I could talk about I, it for hours. I but, love yeah. both movies. Like, I love me The too. Last Jedi and – if I like had to pick, I would say that I probably love Last Jedi a little bit more than The Rise of Skywalker. But for me, they're both like I really like them both, and I think they, I think The Rise of Skywalker works because of The Last Jedi. Agree. And like The Last Jedi for me sets up so much for The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Like I. Feel, I mean, sorry, I cut you off. No, sorry. no. Going back to what you said about let the past die and the um, like you know burning the text or 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 whatever and and the villain's point of view. Not only Kylo Ren, like not only was he a villain at the time of him saying "Let the past burn" or whatever, it he if we just consider him neither villain nor hero, he is a character who is still stumbling on his journey. So it's like, would I listen yeah. to myself when I'm like, was like, you know, in my biggest 
depression, like would I listen to the things that I'm like saying at that point, like as me now, like we're catching him at a bad time, sort of like how Luke in The Last Jedi, you know, for most of the movie, for the first, you know, half of the movie, he's also in his like, don't listen to him at this point, period. Yes. Where he, he's, he's in his era where he's like, let the path, he, he's in his similar to state as Kylo, where he hasn't, he's not really feeling him himself. He's not really, yeah, we're not going to listen to that Luke. Luke yeah. comes around at the end of that movie. And yeah, we're listening to him at the, at a point in his arc where he's not, he hasn't figured it out yet. Like that's, yeah. and that's the same with Kylo and with Luke, exactly. Which is why it, to me, it's so uh, beautiful when he, catches Ray's when he like the lightsaber later. He's like, this yes. is a, this is a, you know, how you don't disrespect this lightsaber. Yeah. Like this is completely in line with Luke's journey starting from the last Jedi. It's not. I think I, I think I talk about that on Star Wars. Minute okay. I'm on it later. Yeah. Nice. I think you'll appreciate that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, and I, 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 I won't go into it right now because I've done it a lot, but I, I also think that, Ray Palpatine is a heightening of Ray Nobody. I don't think it's a contradiction of Ray Nobody personally. I think I oh, think per- that the me message, too. I talked about that on yeah. my minutes of Star Wars Minute. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Yeah, I mean, like, and then for just the real quick version of it is that I, is that I think that if the argument is that anybody, it doesn't matter where you come from, it matters what you do with things like that is only heightened by coming from the worst possible source as opposed to not mattering at all. Like, yeah, that's my opinion on it. Um, yep. <laughs> I yeah, agree completely. Exactly. So, yeah, I, oh, I will say to your point about giving the edge to the Last Jedi. I think that I also agree, and I think for me that comes mostly down to filmmaking, just because like yeah. JJ is a good filmmaker, but Ryan Johnson is a great filmmaker. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like I think that Last Jedi. I think that I would consider it the best made Star Wars movie, at least in the. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I don't think that's Solo or. Uh, Rogue One is a better made movie. So I think that like, I probably consider, I know that like Empire is pretty great as well, but I mean, you gotta love, you gotta love (laughs) Irv Kirshner. But I think that like, I think that, uh, yeah, for me, I think that Last Jedi is just such a well-constructed film, but Rise of Skywalker, I think has more merit than it gets credit for. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, (laughs) So where were we? Oh, I was. Th- I think I was asking how you felt about ancient texts. Yes, ancient texts. That's right. Great. Um, yeah, love them. Love it. On fire. Hey, hey. there's a spy. Really could have used your help out there. How'd it go? Really bad, actually. Really bad. On ship. What'd you do to the droid? What'd you do to the Falcon? Falcon's all up in a shape that he is. bb 8s not on fire. What's the left of them is rapid fire. fire. <laughs> you tell me first. You know what you are. What? You're difficult. Really difficult. I remember I really liked that part. I saw. I did too. You're difficult. Like the way that she kind of breaks character slightly there, or she doesn't break character, but we just see a side of Ray that's like the side. Poe brings out a side of Ray that we don't normally see. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. What's Poe and Poe and Ray perform? Which is we've we've never really seen Poe and Ray interact until this movie, which is kind of wild. But the way that they interact is is sibling-like to me, or Mm. it's like, it's sibling-like, or it is divorced parents who are good (laughs) co-parents. Like, so they might bicker, but it's not, they're not bickering. They can still work together, but. Yeah, they're bickering, but they bicker, like, with familiarity, and there is, like, a level of, like, they're frustrated with each other, but they're not, like, there's not 
hatred or bile in that frustration. Yeah. But I, I think this scene does a lot of the dialogue snapping back and forth. I think it does a lot of establishing the Poe and Ray relationship very quickly because we haven't had one in three movies. So it is, it is like very quickly like these two, this is, this is like there's a lot happening in this moment and a lot of things are being said and it's all happening very quickly together. Yeah, and it kind of um, <clears throat> shortcuts <laughs> Yeah, the, in, in a way that I find satisfying because I don't need to see like a movie where they're getting to know each other. It's just, it's, I think it's easier to, to show in this way, oh, they must already be like intimate with each other as friends. Or like not intimate, but you know what I mean? They must already be yeah. close enough to bicker like this because if you're still kind of acquaintances, you're not going to bicker like that. So it, it, yeah. it does good work to, you know, quickly move us, you know, give us a sense of their, their friendship and how much time has passed, how much time they've spent together, et cetera. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, because unfortunately, I will say it's one one of the flaws with the structure of Last Jedi coming off of The Force Awakens is that we don't get two of the lead like protagonist characters really in scenes together at all across two full movies, which yeah. is like, I, I get it. And this movie, I think, does the same thing of like sacrificing certain characters' arcs in ways that I wish they hadn't to focus on other things. But yeah, so I think this is like a moment of like, I, I agree as a, as a, as a, as dialogue is very much music to me, like for what you, like for what music is for you, dialogue is for me. And this this is such a shortcut. It's a great way to describe it. Like it is a very quick way of saying these two are already very familiar with each other. They already have a a dial. They already have have a dialogue. They already have a way of working together. You can tell both of them were quickly thrust into a high pressure situation where Poe is very much taking on this kind of mantle of leadership of the Re- of the rebels, and and Ray is kind of also taking on this like form of being this like rallying figure and being this like Jedi savior type, you know. But she's not necessarily like a military presence for them, and that's like an interesting thing. And like, yeah, she really much she very much has the pressure of. I have to master being a Jedi so I can fight the Sith guy. The not the Sith, but the dark yeah. side user on the other side. Like it's the two of them have very high pressure roles within the resistance now. Totally. And they're both kind of blowing off steam with each other in it, which I think is really yeah, fascinating. And that's a good leads point. Leads attention. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think Ray and Poe, like the way, well, I guess we see it a little bit more in the like next set of minutes, but just that tension between like their different roles, like the utility of Ray, you know, not being out on the field with everyone because she's doing her special thing by Jedi training. Um, and then Poe, you know, this is getting into next set of minutes, kind of being like, you're the best fighter we have, which is, you know, a little bit questionable, but also a little guilt trippy. And um, yeah, I, I feel like Ray, I, I, I feel like Ray probably also feels a little bit like, is is there an element of truth to what Poe is saying? Am I being a little bit selfish uh, by spending time, you know, floating rocks and going across like ropes and stuff? It's probably a thing that crosses her mind, but Le- I guess that's why Leia's there to be like, no, you're on the right path. Like you're all good. Um, yeah. Continuing. You, difficult man. You are. Finn. Made it back. Yeah, barely. So, bad mood. Me? Him. Always. Do we have a spy? And I like seeing Ray and Finn interact in a little bit more progressed way. Yeah. The compressor's down. Oh, I know. I was there. Because now they're also familiar enough to not be just like nice and just like about the direct job. 
you like she it feels like Poe or Finn is the one that she can confide in for like the real facts. Like Yeah. And Finn will be there for her in that capacity. Um And he's kind of in between his friend and his other friend, like and like they it, it's when you have two friends that you you hang out with more individually each time and not yeah. as a group together and they don't always mesh well as a group and you're like, guys, can we just order nachos? Can we just can we just can we just stop? Like Yeah. 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 The Last Jedi, like one thing about the Rise of Skywalker that I that helped me was I guess it helped me with my feelings about Poe because in The Last Jedi I was I didn't I didn't warm up to Poe as a character until The Rise of Skywalker. In The Force Awakens, I didn't really care. In The Last Jedi, I didn't really care. Like I you know, was like Team Holdo all the way. And Poe kind of annoyed me a little bit. Like I do see that he kind of grew a little bit at the end, but in general, kind of the um the bravado of Poe, similar to the bravado of Han Solo, just didn't do it for me. And um I felt the way about Han Solo as a kid too. Like I was just like, okay, like I didn't dislike him. I just didn't really care like like him that much. Um yeah. and in this movie I I like Poe. Like I I it makes me warm up to Poe. And I think what you're saying about like having him interact more with the protagonists is part of it. Like we see him as more part of the whole thing rather than kind of on his own thing with on the ship with you know with leadership with um with Holdo and and that whole thing. Like it's it's helpful to see him like with peers. Like I think it's just yeah. seeing them in the in the peer group is helpful. Yeah, because like Empire Strikes Back splits up its protagonists as well, but it splits them up as a group. Like like Luke is off by himself talking to Yoda, which is great, and you have R two, but like Han, Leia, and C three PO and Chewie and are all together, and so like they're all having scenes playing off each other. Whereas with Last Jedi, each of the three main leads are mm-hmm. all doing their own thing throughout the entire movie and not working together on anything. And like, so True. like you, yeah. Which True. is part of why I do wish that Rose had a bigger role in this right, movie. Right, because Finn Rose spent his so, time with yeah. Rose in that movie. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, okay. Only, I think I Rose know. would have been like a better glue for that group. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked to see Rose in that group. And I talked about this on Star Wars a minute for my minutes, which were... 16 through 20, so it had been next week on yeah. the show was the one that I talked about there. And I, I did kind of like posit the question of like, does Star Wars know what to do with like two women in a friend group? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like always one. Yeah. I talked about, I had the minutes where I had essentially right before Leia's death scene. So I had the the, the fight between Kylo and Rey. I, 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 my minutes began with her facing off her dark side self and ended with them still in the fight. Mm-hmm. But I had the quick moment of like Maz going, Leia knows what to do. And I feel like in that scene, there are too many characters that all kind of serve the same role in the film, which is Connix and Rose. And I always forget Dominic Moynihan's character, but mm. those three people all have the same basic job in the movie, which is to like look at screens and repeat like things that are resistance yeah. strategy things and talk about Leia. And so it's like, oh, it's hard when you have three characters that all have very short scenes together and like they all feel like they're getting short shafted a little bit with screen time because none of them are doing like the one, the one job that they all, it should be one character. So it should be just, I, I, it's like, I feel like Connix should be at 
the base dealing with Leia, and Rose should be out with the other trio and be part of a, a, a quadruple, a quad set, basically. Yeah. But but they don't know how to do that. So that's <laughs> yeah. like one thing. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Lightspeed skip the Falcon. Actually, it turns right, out guys, you can't. Just no. landed. Okay. What happened? Bad news. That's what happened. No spy. No spy. Did we make contact with a spy or not? There's a mole in the first order and they sent us a message. You dropped a tree on him? You blew both subtle to You know what, maybe you should I'm going to say, the first time I saw this movie, probably the second time too, I think most of that conversation went over my head because it was probably so fast. And I, you know, I, like, I didn't notice that BBA got a tree dropped on him until like Ray was apologizing. (laughs) Like, it's sort of like these, some, a few things were happening where I didn't notice them happen. Like, I had to be told the showing didn't quite land with me, perhaps. Yeah. I think it works, though, because the tree, it's not like a whole, like, sequoia. You know, it's like a little shrubbery kind of tree, right? So it's like, yeah. like he's fine. <laughs> but, like, yeah. so I think Ray is like, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. Like, it's kind of like that kind of vibe of, like, Well, yeah. yeah. I, like, I guess the, the big, bigger point is that even though a lot of these details kind of passed over my head, it... I feel like I still got the gist of it. And for me, that is usually fine. I'm used to missing a lot of details, especially if it's like a fight or something. Like I'm, I'm always going to miss like the individual beats of like a, 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 an action sequence or something. Cause that's just not how my, how my brain works. I can tell when there's like hints, the music kind of tells me, oh, this side did something good. Oh, this side did. I kind of wait for the music and the dialogue to help keep the score for me because I'm just not really noticing all the details of like, oh, that happened. So I understand the implications of like the fire going in there rather than there. I don't always get that. But, and similar with kind of this particular conversation or things where I'm, where I didn't notice the details to begin with. Um, yeah. I, it's still, the package still worked for me despite missing some of the nitty-gritty details. Yeah. What I was saying was less, like, about your point and more about, I think, it, the way it happens where you see it and then it gets repeated again also plays into Ray's own. Like, Ray had not processed that she dropped the tree on mm. BB-8 until Poe says it back to her. And then she's like, hang on. Like, let's not get too much on my case. So I think it actually works yeah. great. Even in the even in characters, you have things that actually happen get repeated back to her a little bit, which is fun. So, yeah, that's true. That's true, and also, Ray feels probably disproportionately like. Imagine if Han Solo like dropped a tree on three PO. Like he wouldn't be like, "I'm so sorry, three PO." Like, yeah, he would just be like, "Whatever." But even like, um, stop walking around. He he would make yeah, fun of three PO for, for it happening. Your fault for following me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I also, going back to my whole co-parenting thing with with Poe and Ray, both of them are talking to each other like you let him, you let him stay up and watch what? Like it feels <laughs> very much like like oh you were watching you were watching my kid and I was watching your kid and we both messed up our own kids. Like it's very fun. Like yeah, that's true. Yeah, it does have that energy for sure. Yeah. Um. Well, we're at the end of the minutes. Are there any, um, is there anything that you didn't get to say or that you, like, thoughts about the rest of the film? I, I think I, I am very on record with my loud and, and passionate thoughts about this film. So I, I love it. I, would I liked, would I, would I have liked for it to have had another year to be filmed and, and let the Absolutely. story breathe a little bit more? Yes. Do I think this movie could have been split into two movies with almost all the same plot points and worked better? Yes, I 100% do. But I 
I am very much a fan of, of Ray becoming a Skywalker. I don't mind Ray being a Palpatine, even though there's a lot of steps that it takes to get there. But I, for me, as somebody who changed her name and somebody who really embraces the concept of found family, the Ray Skywalker thing really resonates a lot with me. And so I, I get a little bit defensive when people start pushing back against it because it matters a lot to me. And I understand that that's how people feel about the Ray Nobody thing in Last Jedi. I just happen to think that those two aren't as directly in conflict as some people think they are. But yeah, same thing like you said with Luke catching the lightsaber. That's a big moment for me that I think is exactly pulling from the other movie and it's respecting it, not disrespecting it. And I, I sobbed in the theater when Han Solo showed up because my own father had passed away about a month earlier. And so oh having this moment where it was like, oh, and, and also like Star Wars had been a huge comfort for me when my father passed away because right after he died was when the Mandalorian launched. And so it was like one of the first moments that I felt like I wasn't actively thinking about things like memorial services and funerals and stuff like that was when I watched the first Mandalorian and met Grogu for the first time. And it was like, wow, I actually had this one little moment that made me like feel wonder and joy again while the worst thing in my life was happening. So it was like, you know, Star Wars had been this gift. And then so then they come to the end of that period of time and then have a scene where a character is speaking to their dead father that they killed. Like there's like a whole, it was a, it was a lot. And it was like, yeah, that was a, that was a gift for me that I will appreciate for this film. And so I think that too makes me stay defensive. So I, I often call myself a Rise of Skywalker apologist, but <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think I'm glad movie, I got to I, I think me too. I'm so glad you gave me minutes. I got. I'm so glad I got such a Ray heavy section, which I know you would have wouldn't have not given me. A Ray. <laughs> That's also. It's also very hard for this movie not to have a Ray heavy section. True. But um, yeah, I think that I. I really hope that I, I resent the way the internet has just accepted that this movie is bad and treats it like it's like the unwanted like child in the family of Star Wars movies. And I really hope that not unlike the way that even the prequels have kind of been given like a redemption arc a little bit, I kind of hope that like maybe when the new Jedi Order movie comes out and maybe like when more ancillary media forms around the sequel era and maybe just with like some time and some distance, I hope that people can look back on this movie with a little bit more. I hope it kind of turns into a Return of the Jedi situation where Return of the Jedi, I think growing up for me was always treated as like the worst of the three movies, even though it was my favorite as a kid. And I really, and now it's looked back on with like, oh no, it was great. It's part of the original it's trilogy. Part of the OT, it's yeah, part of, yeah, yeah. So I hope that maybe like in ten years or whatever, this movie gets a little bit more justice. Because I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's unfairly maligned, in my opinion. I yeah, I completely agree with you. And what you said about the 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 internet response, I feel, has done the movie a disservice because I think critiquing the movie is ap- critiquing any media is necessary for. The survival of, I mean, like, I think I'm very pro, like, critique and talking about things and not just being, like, defending everything just because you can, which sometimes is also how the internet reacts when some people, you know, don't like something, other people sometimes, like, artificially defend it too much, where it's like, wait, we don't need to go, we don't need to just, like, push back against the pushback, and then, like, we don't need to do that. Um, And I think a lot of the meta information about this movie has... Been it's been a looming shadow over a lot of the commentary where it's like I think people already a lot of people again I'm I'm not talking about people who are giving like who just feel who just saw it in a different way like you can't change I mean you can't control the way that 
it just, you know, seeps into your mind the first time you watch it. Like, it's fine yeah. to critique it. It's fine to not like it. But just like the steadfast holding on to like, well, but this is what happened in the process of making it. So like I've already yeah. decided that it's not good because of the process of how it of how it went. Yeah. A lot of people too, I think, are too forgiving of not too forgiving, but are too kind to the the Colin Trevorrow treatment for Duel of the Fates. So I think it's a lot easier to have a treatment and some concept art and be like, oh, wow, that would have been a way better version of this movie. But I, I feel like Trevor Rose's track that, record is a, yeah. I didn't know that people were actually, I didn't know that people were kind to that version, are they? I think people are more like, oh, it's not Rise of Skywalker, so this would have been great. And I oh, think okay, that, yeah. I the think that in some, it's- yeah. I think that there was an alternate universe where somehow Duel of the Fates got made and then somebody got, exactly that same kind of treatment and concept art leaked for Rise of Skywalker, they would have the exact opposite conversation of like, oh, can you believe there was a movie where like Rey was a Palpatine and and yeah. she fights so cool. Kylo on the Death Star and then all the Jedi come on and, and like rise up within her to fight Palpatine? Like that would have been <laughs> how people talked about it, so. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, I think with The Rise of Skywalker, I agree with a lot of the critiques on specific things. Like, it's a movie that I think the movie works for me on an emotional level. It did hit me in that way that I, it did make me trans, it, it was transcend, it led to a transcendence, which is how most Star Wars movies do, with the exception of Solo and Rogue One. Rogue One did a little bit toward the end, but like one through nine, all of those, all of the episode films did make, do make me transcend a little bit. Like, it makes me feel like I feel heightened. I feel like I'm wrapped up in something kind of bigger than me. And so that doesn't mean all the details are perfect. And The Rise of Skywalker, I feel, has, it works for me, like the big strokes, all the themes, like it works for me. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the details, I think, could have been done better. Yeah, I agree. But the film ultimately works for me, and that's usually my ultimate judge of of a film where I can understand, I can agree with anyone nitpicking a hundred details, but it still doesn't change the fact that like I have an overall, um, I walk away overall feeling positively about it. And I think yeah. some people are maybe work differently. Maybe some people are more sensitive to the details. And if the details aren't there, then, it, then the movie's not there, but that's just not how I yeah. am. And I do think that, I think this movie, I think every Star Wars movie is a little bit flawed in how it's made. Like they're, they're, they're not, like Kurosawa films, you know, they are, they are approximations of Kurosawa films. Yes. But like they are, I, I, I don't, I don't think that very many Star Wars films transcend into the space of like avant-garde, not avant-garde, but like of like true auteur filmmaking. They are studio films, even, even the original, which was a pretty massive indie sort of vibe, but like it, a lot of collaboration, a lot of things. And they are, Stitched together, they're they're blockbustery. They're they're what they are, and that that works. And I think that Rise of Skywalker, for some reason, a lot of those stitchings get more criticism than I think other movies in the same franchise do. And I think I I think that the first half of this movie is a mess. There's a lot of issues with it, and like <laughs> yes, and the whole thing with like. Oh yeah, by the way, there was a whole secret fleet of Exegol that we never knew about. Like I that's that's a thing that I'm like again, I think if you just given this if you had made this episode 9 and 10 and epi- and like 
seeded in some of that stuff in episode nine and then brought it to the forefront in episode 10. Like there's in my mind is a virgin's movie that ends with Kylo coming back to the light at the end of this battle with Ray. And then you find out that general pride has been working with uh, Palpatine this whole time. Palpatine's like, you know, you find out Palpatine's back and then he's the villain of the next movie like that. And then that movie's the capper for the entire saga. Mm. Like, same plot points, but given space to breathe and given space for the audience to learn a thing and process a thing as opposed to, like, rushing into the next thing so fast. Mm. But your moment of transcendence thought, I feel that way about it because I, I think once you get to the other indoor moon where the colla- the broken Death Star is, from then on, this movie cooks, in my opinion. Like, it is, it is so good from then on. Like, every... All the stuff with Rey losing her shit and going after Kylo and, and murdering Kylo, basically, and like and then like catching herself, pulling herself back, healing him, dealing with Han Solo, going back, finding Luke, talking to Luke, like going off to, to face Palpatine, Ben Solo showing up there, all the rebels, and then the, the moment. Yeah, everything coming together, the whole galaxy like rising up to fight the First Order. Like, yeah. It's so people. good. It's so good. It's just like I love it from that and I am all the Jedi like and that yeah. <laughs> like I am I am so like I saw this in the theater and I had been told all day that I was going to hate it because everybody was mad at it that day and I was crying and I was so invested and I loved it and I am I am I'm, I'm, I, I saw it with my best friend from high school that I'd, I'd like bonded with over Star Wars movies. I'd seen, the, I'd watched the originals with him. I'd seen the prequels and theaters with him. And like, it was like, and like, like I said, that had the personal connection to the Han Solo thing. So uh, this movie was a gift for me and I, I love it. And I'm, I'm so, so glad to hear about New Jedi Order because I was really starting to worry that what was going to happen was that Disney Lucasfilm was going to kind of, we Shelf made that, and we're not. Yeah, we're not. We're not going to ever go back to talking about Ray and those people because we're just going to either move to a whole new era, or we're going to get so obsessed with this Mandalorian between the two eras thing. And I was just kind of like, I really hope that the, sequ- the sequels don't just kind of get forgotten and don't kind of get just like paved over and like put aside. So knowing that it's still going to matter to like the future of Star Wars means a lot to me. And I guess it's because Ray means so much to me. And like, I really do hope that John Boyega, I know there's talk about they're trying to get him to come back for it. And I hope he I does. Would love I do to. think, I think this movie planted future seeds for him in a big time. Yeah. I would love, I would love Kelly Marie Tran to get like kind of a justice moment with it as well. So hopefully, hopefully we get some of that kind of stuff in it, but yeah, I'm. I I love these characters, and I'm excited to see what happens next with these characters. If I can, me too. In like, yeah, awesome. Um, well, I'm gonna go through the themes really quick, and then ask you the questionnaire. Yeah. So the themes from this set of minutes were martial chords, the Force, Ray's A theme, Leia trains Ray, Ray's B theme, the chimes, Imperial March, Kylo Ren's aggressive theme and dualistic strings. And then on the soundtrack, it's not on the main, none of this music's on the main soundtrack, but if you have the For Your Consideration soundtrack, um, the end, the very end of Falcon Flight is the beginning of these minutes. Um, Yeah, so Riley, are you ready for your third go at the Star Wars Music Minute questionnaire? Yes, yes. Let's see if I answer the exact same way again like I did last time. That would be funny. Okay, I won't tell you your answers then. I didn't. I didn't after. listen. I didn't look it up because I didn't oh, want nice. to fall for it. Oh, nice. Fun. Fun. Okay. Yeah. 
Question number one. In exactly three words, what does Star Wars sound like? Wondrous space magic. <laughs> you said epic space magic. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I probably That's knew the word epic was in there and I like was probably like, little, like my brain. To, that's funny. Um, that's what, funny. What is something related to Star Wars music or sound that you want to learn more about? I'm actually thinking about it. I know this is like a general movie making thing, but I, I think that I hadn't really thought of until you mentioned it earlier is that like how many different people are involved in the, like when you said like, oh, this might not have been John Williams. This might've just been like an editor put that in. And that that's kind of fascinating to me of like, who kind of has the final say over mm. like this is the song that's being used? Like I guess the director to some degree, but like, like that's it's fascinating to me that like you have a person whose job it is to put score to the movie, but then you also have somebody else who's like, well, this is how I'm going to use that score in the movie, and that's interesting to me. So I guess I'd like to hear a little bit more about that process of like who's deciding what when it comes to m- editing music into the movie, specifically m- music as opposed to sound effects and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot. A lot of it is stuff that we would never guess because there's like the name of John Williams. We assume like the music is all John Williams, but then so much of it is up to the music editor, or is the seed is planted by the music editor. There's so much, and I wish I knew. I like I I vaguely know the process of how it is, but like still on any given production, unless they're sharing all the secrets in a documentary or something, I don't know the who made each specific choice, and I would like to yeah. know that. I wonder if even they know, because I know like in Because they might not even rooms, remember. Yeah, well, a lot of times in writers' rooms, like people don't remember who pitched what joke because it all becomes mm. like a mash of what's together. And I wonder if like, oh, this, like, and I have even times with like, like I, I do a role-playing game podcast and I, I often co-write the scenarios with one of our co-producers. And a lot of times like he and I forget who pitched what idea because we just, we hand it out together so much. So I'm wondering how much of it is like, oh no, I, I heard this motif and I knew that it fit in this scene versus like, oh, this was composed exactly for this video, this this footage, and yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, what is a score or soundtrack that you're fond of besides anything Star Wars? Okay, I have an answer this time that is not a TV show that was scored by Murray Gold, so I hope you're <laughs> happy to know that information. <laughs> Although, Murray Gold is coming back to do, he's probably already done it, but he came back for Doctor Who's most uh, upcoming specials, at least, and probably the further seasons. But oh, wow. he had been he had not been working on the show during uh, Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker's era. They had brought in uh, Sagun Akoya, I think his, na- his name is, something like that, to do it. And now Murray's coming back for Russell T. Davies' new era. So I get to hear Murray Gold music on my Doctor Who again pretty soon. Um, I, I, have a, I have a different answer for you this time. Is that cool. I'm pretty deep into the Across the Spider-Verse uh, score that was done by Daniel Pemberton. It uh. is such a fascinating, it is, it is a, there's a lot happening with it. it it's And I, I think the Into Spider-Verse score is amazing as well. And both movies definitely have a lot of like needle drop kind of moments as well. But the, the way that Across the Spider-Verse is jumping realities. And so each reality kind of has its own sound and its own music and its own motifs for it. And then you've also got like Miles' themes happening. But then you also have like tracks that feel like almost like an invading force is coming in and there's it's there's there's sections that are score that are music but almost sounds more like sound effects and these like ethereal like loud like like 
again, in, invasive things. And it, it very much is like anomalies in the music to represent Miles as like an anomaly in the spiders. It's, oh. it's kind of become unfortunately a bit of a joke because like people on TikTok have taken like one stinger and are putting it like in a repeated video. But yeah. there's a couple – for a while – I'm I'm shocked at how much footage of this movie was was filmed and put on TikTok for like a pretty long period of time when the movie came out. Um, I was like, this is I've never seen that. Almost the entirety of the film was on the on TikTok for like a week oh, in wow. various chunks because people were talking about scenes and showing scenes and filming stuff. But there's just like so much intensity, and there's like this section at the end where it's like it's very. Empire Strikes Backy, where it's like leading up to a cutoff for the cliffhanger. And it's, there's like, it's so dark and heavy, and there's like so much layering happening. It's fascinating. It's a really, really interesting score. So, is there going to be a third movie? There is. So, there is, okay. there was Into the Spider Verse, there's Across the Spider Verse, and then coming out, I think, a couple years. I think there's a delay on it, but it's beyond the Spider Verse. So. Okay. I'm, as someone who's not familiar with too many superhero movies like Marvel or DC, I have seen Into the Spider-Verse and I really liked it. And so I do plan to see Across the Spider-Verse. And um, yeah, so I look forward to that. I would say Across the Spider-Verse is one of the few times where I, as someone who am not as music literate and am not as like, I'm, I'm usually someone who is hypnotized by the music in a film as opposed to this is a movie where I was like actively aware of music because it's it's so important to, and because Similarly with animation in a movie, they they really do a lot of like they change frame rates, they change aspect ratios depending mm. on what's important to the scene in ways that like animation really hasn't done before. Like they, they did a whole thing in the first movie where like Miles has a different frame rate than any other character in the movie and then in this movie they have a different have a character who has a different frame rate from even that and his own frame rate like different parts of his body have different frame rates because he's supposed to be like almost like a magazine cutout, like because he's, he's, he's a he's a punk character spider punk and they like he doesn't quite fit the like the visual and it's supposed to be almost like someone like took a magazine like like when you see people take like cut out rock magazines and paste them on a wall his his art is supposed to rep, like make that kind of vibe or someone scribbling in a notebook and so parts of his body move different frame rates. And similarly, the music does that a lot in the movie as well. Like, and the music really changes based on what world it's in, what character from that world's there. It's, it's really, really interesting how much it all plays together. So, That's really cool. I didn't know that the first time I went in. But like, I watched it because the place where I went to school, CalArts, is, has like a very, I don't know, it tends to have experimental like animators. And it was like CalArts, people who made this film. So I was, when I, I saw it, I liked it. I was like, mm, I wonder if I just am trained to like a CalArts sensibility where they, there's lots of creative weird stuff that happens all the time. Like Danny, um, not Danny Elfman, like Tim Burton went there, Henry Selick and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, last, not last time, but the time before you did mention Doctor Who and not only because of Murray Gold, but like Delia Derbyshire and... Um, all these other people. And I will say, like, since then, I have personally gone on a deep dive. Like, I've listened to so much Delia Derbyshire and the, uh, like, I've, I've, yeah, I really like nice. that recommendation and have gotten really into it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think the first time I did Doctor Who and then the last time I did Gentleman Jack, which I found out while on the show talking to you. That it was, was Murray Gold. Murray Gold. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was like, I was like, going this time around, like, I'm like, I have to actually do what they ask, which is, 
pick a movie score and not a no, TV it show. It doesn't have to be a and, movie. But, but I was like, yeah. I, I was like, movie score, and then I was like, and I, I cannot do another Marie Gold thing. I have to find <laughs> somebody else. And I almost, because I youth, we talked about this in the uh, the Discord for Star Wars Minute, which is that um, when I saw Dial of Destiny, I made the choice to like stay in the theater just because it like meant something to me to like sit and listen to a John Williams score in the theater for the first time and let it play out because I don't know if I'll ever get that chance again. So it was like, like, I, I I mean, I, I will get to hear his scores again the rest of my life, but I don't know how many more movies he's going to be scoring, if right. any, after this one. And so it was kind of like, I know there's not a post credit scene to this movie, but I just want to sit here and listen to John Williams' music and let it play. And that was kind of yeah. like, there was a family that I wish maybe had been a little bit quieter while I was trying to do that, but it was yeah. still, there was something about that of like, this is a man who has scored so much of the significant music and things in my life and like he's obviously getting pretty close to the end of his career and and lifespan um not to be too dark about it but it was just kind of like no out of respect for john williams i am going to just sit and listen to this music so yeah but i didn't want to like i didn't want to like john williams at like what's a, what's a non-star wars thing oh a different john williams project many people have but, done that i have myself yeah. have done answered et of course <laughs> yeah but I also but, I don't know if I thought that the Dial Destiny score was particularly like interesting for Williams. I think it was kind of an Indiana like an Jones Indi- score. Yeah, for but, sure. So that's why the Across the Spider Verse really kind of screamed out at me because it's it's a pretty screaming score. So nice. It's good. It's topical as well. It's still time for me to see it in the theater. So yeah. Um, so that's good. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, very good. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Riley. I always like talking to you. Um, you can too. you tell people where to find your books and your stuff? Yeah, you can find my books at, uh, at bookstores. I have three. I have three Star Wars books. I have uh, Exploring Tatooine: An Illustrated Guide. I have um, Galaxy's Edge: Treasures from Batu, which is like a little book of like knickknacks and like little tchotchkes from it's from Galaxy's Edge. And then I have the Star Wars Life Day pop up book, which is very fun. Oh, and that's so cool. it's like Advent Calendar pop. It's not. It's more like pop up Advent Calendar than a pop up book. So it's a little Wusher tree that pops up. And there's little paper like um, uh, ornaments you can hang from the Wusher tree, and I like it because it's reusable. So you can put things back in the windows and then, like, back in the little boxes and fold it up, put it in a shelf, pull it out next year, and hang it up again as decoration. Oh, so, nice! Yeah, and then I also have a book that just came out that is now available for public purchase, which is um, so Karen Hallian, who's like a pretty popular uh, uh, artist of like. She does, like, a lot of Star Wars fan art and stuff like that. She made a book called the She Series book, and it was based on a, a art series that she did where it's it's women, it's female characters in profile, and then, like, a single word that, like, describes them. And then at first she did them as fictional characters. Then she started doing them for real historical women. And then what she did was she took a lot of her historical women ones and made a book where each – a uh, woman has an essay about her by a different writer. And I that that was available only through a Kickstarter for a while, but now you can actually buy it from her Etsy store. So mm-hmm. that one, I think you have to go to the Etsy store to get it. I don't think you can get okay, it I'll at put any a bookstore. Yeah. yeah. Who did but, you write? Um, I wrote two. I did Lucille Ball and I did Marsha P. Johnson. So I was cool. pretty proud of it. And it, it I actually wrote it before I wrote my Star Wars books, but it took a lot longer for it to come out. So it finally came out this year. I think as it was Kickstarter funded. Um, yeah. And it was also a lot of moving parts. 
But yeah, so the other three books you can definitely get at any bookstore. If they don't have it, you can ask them to order it and they will. But the She Series book, I think you have to buy from her directly. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Are you on any social media for people to... Yeah, I'm using Twitter less these days, uh, hoping to get off it eventually. I hope it, I hope it goes away forever um, or gets fixed somehow. I'm currently on, but I'm on Blue Sky. I just joined Threads, and I'm Riley Silverman on most of them. So, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm TikTok. Yeah, I mean, I'm either Riley Silverman or Riley J. Silverman. So if you're on TikTok and you go to one and it's a bunch of old Yelp reviews, that's not me. But if you go to one <laughs> that has pictures of me and, and Star Wars stuff, that's probably me, so... That's funny. Yeah. Yelp reviews. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was someone who her name was also Riley Silverman and all her tick all her Twitter was was repo like 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 a bot. Oh. Like like she would write a review on Yelp and it would get oh, shared yeah, yeah. on her Twitter and she would yeah. never actually use the Twitter. And mm. I had reached out to her to get see if I could have her Twitter handle when I legally changed my name and she wouldn't let me have it because she didn't want to deal with trying to find her password. So I just became Riley J. Silverman on there. And that's when I was verified for a while. I had that. That's why it was verified. But mm, <clears throat> now I'm not verified anymore. So you have to make sure it's me and not her you're following. Oh, well, I have a, I have an extension on my browser that actually still shows the legacy verification. So you're still oh, verified cool. to me. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what it is if I find it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, anyway, listeners, um, you can find Star Wars Music Minute or me, Chrysanthi Tan, on some of the social medias. I used to say all of them, but now that there's like twice as many, it seems. Um, like yeah. I'm not on Blue Sky yet. I'm not on Threads yet, et cetera. But, you know, it, maybe one day it will be. So you could just look up Chrysanthi Tan or Star Wars Music Minute. Um, additionally, if you want to join my Discord server, you can become a patron at any level. And if you have a detailed question, you can leave me a voice message. I'll put a link in the show notes. Or you can write me an email at podcast at Star Wars Music Minute.com. Um, I always appreciate the, the emails, even when they're like corrections or helping me with detail, like things that you think I might know, but don't know, or if you're sharing resources, that's, that's all. Yeah, I welcome it. So I appreciate all the listeners who have helped me with details in the past or sent me resources to use. Um, and with that, uh, I guess that's all I have for today. May the Force be with you, and thank you for listening to Star Wars Music Minute.